This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're now listening to Boomsies with Dan O'Toole on the Bet Rivers Network. Our first post-Easter week is in the books. We made it to Friday. Jesus is like, I'm back. I'm here for good now. I'm just hanging out in my crib for the weekend, disappeared for a bit. I'm back! That's how the story goes, I think... I haven't uh, haven't been back for a retelling in a while. Like those are the Coles notes, if they still have them. No, we have ChatGPT. I saw someone watch day. They had ChatGPT watch 100 Olive Garden commercials. And then got ChatGPT to write an Olive Garden commercial. That's where we are now. So you know what I'm thinking. You got ChatGPT. Here's 100 Tim Hortons commercials. Write us a new one. That's our next project. Or they write our CSI Tim Hortons. And also the Easter break is over. So now until summer, kids who are still in school, they've got nothing. There's not a glimmer of hope until summer. It's in the distance. You're like, it's not a sprint. This is a long marathon. We might have a PA day here and there, but we got nothing now. March break, it's over. Christmas break, over. Easter break, over. You got nothing. If you're a child listening to this, I'm sorry. It's the hard truth of life. We don't sugarcoat it around here. We tell it like it is. Hey, (laughs) boomsies. I'm very excited for this episode of Friday, Friday, Friday. Because of the 1985 Blue Jays, my favorite Jays team of all time. First Jays team to win the AL East pennant. Love that team. Love every member of that team. And I loved this member in particular. That man is the legend, Ernie Witt. 10-year-old Dan O'Toole is giddy at this moment. You are the 85 Blue Jays, my favorite team of all time. That team single-handedly made a country fall in love with baseball. So thank you. Well, that was it was a great year for the Blue Jays. Uh, it was a little disappointing in the end, but, uh, you know. Yeah, I know it, it, you were up 3-1. Does it still haunt you to this day? You were 3-1 on the Royals. 
absolutely haunts me on a daily basis. No question about it. It's uh, some great memories, though, and I look at it where, you know, Dan, it's like we were up 3-1 to one on Kansas City. They'd be come back and beat us. Kansas City goes up. They're down 3-1 to one to St. Louis. Kansas City comes back and beats them. So I, I guess Kansas City was just a team of uh, destiny that year. I guess. Oh, when George Bell caught that ball and left. Oh, fell to his knees. Oh, see, it brings a tear to your eye. It brings a tear to my eye, too. Uh, did yeah. you sense you were part of something special? Because baseball, not that it was new to the country, but I really think that the country found its love because of that team. I think it was a growing period. Uh, I think every year since the inception, which was 77, you could see the team was building, and they were talking about it. The city was talking about it. And I think the organization was going about it the great way. We're going to build a contender through our farm system, in which they did. We had players in the early 80s that were playing in the big leagues that should have been playing in the minor leagues. But you could see the development of these players. And it seemed like every year we got better and better. In 1984, we had a pretty good you know, season. We just didn't have a closer at that time. We went into the season with a lot, you know, a lot of excitement thinking that we were going to be able to contend. The Tigers got off to a great start that year. I think they were 35 and three or something. But uh, August, we were real, we were still there knocking on the door, but we just didn't have that individual that we could count on to come and close the game out. We lost a lot of games in the eighth and ninth inning that year. I follow Jesse Barfield, your former teammate on uh, on Twitter, and he looks fondly on his times playing at Exhibition Stadium. Do you feel the same? That was a weird place to play baseball. It was a football stadium. No question. It was it was different. I felt I, I felt bad for the fans, really. I mean, they're sitting in those aluminum seats when it's a nice cold April day or a brisk September day. Um at least as players, we were able to go into the dugout and they had heaters in there so we could warm up a little bit before we went back out. But, uh, you know, anytime you have a chance to play in the big leagues, it doesn't matter what stadium you're in. You know, you're, you're playing at the highest level that you could possibly play. And it's, you know, I, I try to look at all positive things, too. You know, people say that, well, the wind blew out the right field all the time. Well, I, I disagree with that. It did blow out at times, but it also blew in at times, too. So, I mean, it was a, a even playing field for both teams. Was it like playing in a parking lot because it did not look like it was easy on the joints? It, it looked like they just put carpet <laughs> over cement. I think if you look at the, the, the players that played on exhibition stadium, you know, for 140, 150 games a year, they probably have had joint replacements. I know <laughs> I'm, I'm one of them that's getting real close to doing it. The reason I haven't done it so far is just, I've been very busy with baseball still. It was also a team that had three of the greatest batting stances of all time. Tony Fernandez, who held the bat with his fingertips, Garth Orge and his stance, and you, in your stance, I believe you lead, the, I don't know if there's an official staff for this, the majors in most home runs hit from one knee. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I know no one's ever hired me as a hitting instructor. So 
Like maybe that might tell you something right there, but uh, it was. Did you unique. ever hit a ball to the opposite field? Of course, no, because oh, I always remember you just your home runs. You always just pulled them. I I think you could probably count on one hand how many home runs I hit the left field. <laughs> Dave Steeb catching his stuff, watching that as a kid. Was it as was it as electric as it looked on TV? Yes. Best right-handed pitcher I ever caught. No question about it. Uh, he he was, his slider was electric. His fastball moved all the time. And he threw a heavy, heavy sinker. Uh, you know, he, he, like I said, I mean, I, I, I've caught some good, good right-handed pitchers, but stuff-wise, he had probably the best stuff that I ever caught. When you compare when you played to modern-day baseball, what differences do you see that you say, okay, I wish we had done this a bit differently, or did, did you like exactly the era you played in? I don't think I would have changed a thing. I really don't, Dan. Uh, it's just, you know, again, I look at things are different now. There's no question about it. But I don't think I would change anything. I, I enjoyed going out playing the game. I enjoyed the competition that we had played against. There was uh, – a lot of rivalry between certain teams that you played against. It, it was, um, I mean, that, that's, you can't, you can't change it. You know, we, we played and you can't change it. So just go back and cherish the moments that you did play. And you must cherish the places you got to play in like old tiger stadium. I wish so many times buddies are like, let's, let's go on a road trip to tiger stadium. And that is the one thing I look back in life. I'm like, I wish I had done that. Well, I, I guess I could say I, I did go back. I went there as a child. I, I remember getting on a bus and taking it downtown and watching games sitting in center field bleacher with my brother. Um, you know, I always cherished that place. I loved going into that town. I knew I was going to hit a couple balls in the upper deck there. And, you know, it probably didn't travel that far because the upper deck hung out over the uh, the lower deck. So I was able to get into the first, you know, couple of rows anyways. But it was it was always great playing in a place that you grew up loving and, and going, playing against the team that you actually, I grew up idolizing the Tigers. So just like a lot of kids in Toronto, they grew up idolizing the Blue Jays. Did you ever hit one onto the roof there? In batting practice. In batting practice. In batting practice, I hit one onto the roof. Uh, during the game, I think I hit the third deck once. Most of my home runs were just, you know, fence scrapers. So, but they count the same. Of all the old stadiums that are gone, which one do you look back and say they they should have kept that? Wow. Um, I, I mean, I guess none of them right now because of the fact the way the you know things are being played out, the modern air, and you know, wider wider. Aisles to get up and down, bigger seats, you know, concession stands. So I, I guess everyone has to remodel at some time. But I, I love Tiger Stadium. I, I love the older stadiums. I love Doe County Stadium, Milwaukee. I love the Fenway Park, the old Fenway Park. Uh, you know, th those were things that I grew up looking forward to playing and played in. And so I, you know, I, I'll have those memories. You, you you talk about Fenway. Is that a park you mentioned? Old Fenway Park, where you walk in, do you almost feel the ghosts of the past there? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's a place. That's why I, you know, went through the Red Sox farm system, and my first big league game was you know at Fenway Park. My first hit in the big leagues was a home way, home run at Fenway Park. So I have great memories for that place. Your first hit was a home. You Junior Felix did. I I did. I did. And how about when we came back that year, we were down 10 to nothing. I hit the grand slam home run off of Lee Smith. And I think Junior Felix hit the home run in the 11th inning to beat the Red Sox. I watched that on YouTube last night. <laughs> you guys went and, up 11. Right I don't know. That was a long time ago. Oh, oh man. You're just, you're putting me in a time machine here. Um, <laughs> The new rules in baseball, do you like them? Like the, the pitch clock, the, the wider bases, the no shift where they needed? I, I think you're going to see more action on the no shifts. Um, I, I think that you're going to see more offense. Uh, I'm I, not really big on the bigger bases, but, you know, if, if they're doing it as a safety concern, then that's fine, too. But, uh the pitch clock, absolutely. It's. I think they need to tweak it a little bit, you know, especially maybe later in the games as things get tight. You know, you, you don't want a pitch count to, to affect the outcome of a ball game, especially in the eighth or ninth inning. So, again, I think you could tweak it a little bit. I think it's good. It's getting the hitters in the batter's box. Uh, most of the time, the pitcher's waiting on the hitters to get set in the batter's box. So, I think that's going to help it along a little bit. Which of your former teammates would have had a tough time with the pitch clock? Who took the longest? On the pitching side of it, uh, they, I don't know. They, they Actually, they were all pretty good. They were all pretty quick. Because, you know, that's one thing that our managers talked about was just, you know, putting pressure on the hitter and, and not letting them think too much and figure out things. So, um, we, we try to put, you know, have action and, and within 12 seconds after you receive the ball back. That was kind of one of our things that we talked about a lot, you know, in our pre-meetings and stuff. Yeah, get in a rhythm. What's the worst injury you received uh, while catching? Off a foul ball? Was it off a, what happened, or a play at the plate? Well, uh had a couple of surgeries after plays at the plate, but the one that I remember the most was in 87 when I slid into uh, Paul Molitor at second base and I broke a couple of ribs uh, with, with like five days or I think it was actually four games to play. And that's when we uh, went into the old Tiger Stadium and we lost our final seven games. That was also the time that uh, uh, Tony Fernandez got hurt. When he hurt uh, his elbow. Hurt his elbow. Bill Matlock took him out at second base, landed on that wooden form around second base there at Exhibition Stadium. Knocked him out the last 10 games. Uh, and then I was knocked out with the three-game series coming against Detroit, where I'd always done well there at Tiger Stadium. And we lost the final seven games of the season, the last three against the Tigers. How violent was the collision where you broke some ribs? I just, you know, I, I slid in and, and kind of popped up, and I popped up right into his ribs. There was nothing, you know, dirty about it in any way. It's just a freak thing that happened, and, 
you know, I was going in hard to break up a double play. Okay. I, I get it. Old school baseball. That's what you got to do. That's the way Did it was you guys, back then. Did you guys despise the Tigers? Because as a Jays fan, I knew every single player in that lineup. Top to bottom, I knew all the bench players on the Tigers. Didn't know that for any other team, and I hated every one of them. <laughs> I don't know. I would never say we despised them. It was a great rivalry that we had between Toronto and Detroit. You know, the, the proximity of both cities you could drive to. With, you know, a three-and-a-half-hour drive, you're at stadium to stadium. So it was it was a great rivalry that you had. And, you know, the fans really got into it back then. And we played each other, I think, you know, we played each other quite a bit. We didn't have that many teams in the league, I believe. I think there was only two divisions at that time. That's right. Uh What's the strangest thing you've seen a teammate eat during a game? Because I, the snacks have come a long way. I've gone into a major league clubhouse, and the snacks now are top-notch. I, I assume they weren't that great back when you played. No, we'd, we'd go back in and grab a hot dog out of the <laughs> kitchen. You know, I mean, we, we didn't have any of these uh, protein bars and stuff like that. We... We had bubble gum, we had sunflower seeds, and and guys chewed tobacco back then too. So I mean, it was it was it was a lot different than what it is now. Well, there's protein in a hot dog. That's kind of like a protein bar. Yeah, but you think about it during the course. What well, the fans are eating hot dogs, so why shouldn't the players? <laughs> Let's get into the World Baseball Classic. Is is it just my view of this year's event that? It got newfound acceptance and love from everyone that maybe doubted it before. I, I think it did a tremendous job marketing itself this year. I, I think one of the reasons why the players were up and and was wanting to play in it. I know the U.S. promoted it a lot. You get your your marquee players like a Mike Trout, you know uh, Bryce Harper, a Kyle Schwarber who are going on air saying they can't wait to play in it. And then during the course of it, they're loving it. And during the end of it, that's all they talked about. They can't wait for the next one. So I think the marketing of it was outstanding. I I, I think it shows that there can be passion in the game. There can be pride in the game and you're playing for your country. So I, I think it's, it's just, it keeps on building. I'm just hoping that, uh, in 2026, we'll have more more Canadians that are willing to play in it. Speaking of Canadians, from when you arrived in Canada to play for the Jays to now, how have you seen the talent for baseball with Canadian-born players improve? I think it's improved tremendously. I, I think the, a lot of the players are now going... Um, after they're done with their high school, they're going on to U.S. colleges where they have good baseball programs and they, they are, you know, they are expanding and, and getting better with better baseball programs and they're playing more. And uh, I just think that uh, the, the, the knowledge of the game, that the intertwine, inner things that go on during the course of the game, the players are understanding it and accepting it and executing it. So uh, I, I think the game itself with the Canadian players has grown a lot. 
And I think a lot of it has to do, too, with, you know, the grassroots programs that are going on in Canada. I, I think it's a very positive thing. Greatest Canadian baseball player of all time. That's got to go to Fergie, right? Fergie Jenkins? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean... Uh, Joey, I mean is Joey Votto, is he getting close? He's he's getting close. Uh, you know, the last couple of years he's had injuries, but, you know, how can you, you cannot deny him with... You put his stats there; it's pretty good. But there's an awful lot of other good ball players too. You you look at Larry Walker, look at Justin Morneau. I don't want to forget anyone. Who am I forgetting? I mean, it, it, it's like there's a lot of good Canadian ball players. Larry Walker, yeah, he doesn't get the credit he deserves because he played in Colorado. You can't you can't take that away from someone just because he played on a team. What is he supposed to get traded to somewhere else? And okay, I can play well here too. I'm telling you, he, he his knowledge of baseball is so good. I mean, I, I love having him on my staff. He's he's tremendous. The kids look up to him. The, the, even the older players, they talk to him. We talk baseball. We talk situations. We talk, is this pitcher tipping his pitches? You know, what is, does he get into uh, patterns, you know, that helps our hitters? I mean, he's, he's just, he's a quiet dictionary of baseball that's that's a very good statement because that's what i've heard about him as well um you talk about tipping pitches how often did that happen in your day if a guy's on second can you get the sign to the hitter most of the time what you're you're doing is you're 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 tipping locations more than anything you know if the catcher moves too early he moves away from a right-handed I mean, you can tip that pretty easily. And, and, and if you know that the ball is going to be, you, you split the plate in half. So if you know the ball is going to be on the outer part of the plate, you're cheating to the outer part of the plate. And and, and vice versa, if the ball is going to be an inner half, you cheat to the inner half. So, uh, and believe me, that helps. I mean, we we did it in the 80s uh, all the time. We, we would try to take the advantage of the opposing team. When you look back at uh, your playing days, who was the hardest pitcher to catch on your staff? Probably Dwayne Ward. Yeah? I would say he was the, uh, he threw a very heavy ball. He threw hard. And a lot of times it wasn't where it was supposed to be. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're kind of on skates a little bit. He had a, he had a real good career with a great arm. And, uh, but I, I would say overall, at that level, he was probably one of the better pitchers or toughest pitchers to catch. Did you ever have to catch a knuckleballer? Uh, Phil Necro, I think he, 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 he kind of, he came over for a few months with us in Toronto. So he was the only one really that I, I, I caught at the at the big league level. Did you have to change your glove, wear one of those weird knuckleballer gloves? No, I just went to an older glove that was more broken in, a little flimsy. And and again, it, it's like you're you you're not receiving the ball, you're you're kinda like snatching the ball because you you just if, once you get uptight, you your movement are just not the same. So you just try to stay as relaxed as possible and just when it gets into that hitting area, you just go and you try to snag it. It mustn't no, it must not have been fun, though, to know you're going to catch him because you're like, oh, this is this is going to be a tough day. 
Well, I mean, a knuckleballer can make the hitter look foolish. We also make the catcher look foolish. But again, that that's the purpose of the knuckleball is so the hitter doesn't hit it. But you try to, as, as a catcher, you try to put some part of your body on it anyways to keep it in front. As a catcher, do you form a different relationship with umps than any other player? You must. I think so. Yeah, I mean, you're you're, you're there working together, and, and that's the thing. You try to have a good working relationship, and you carry on a, a, a civil conversation with them. And, and that's what I, I've always tried to teach the catchers that I've been working with is, hey, let's, you guys have to build a relationship with the umpires. I said, because if you get off on the wrong foot with them, they're, they're going to screw you and they, they will screw your pitcher. And it's just human nature that, you know, they, they do hold grudges. I don't care what anyone says. They hold grudges. Their job is to call balls and strikes. They're human. They're going to miss. They're going to miss pitches. So, again, you just talk to them. But if you have a pitcher out there that is pretty consistent throwing to one side of the plate, you know, it's, it's pretty easy for the umpire to call and, and you keep talking to them like saying and try to inch out an inch at a time farther off the plate. And, and again, if you're receiving a properly, you know, everyone thinks that it's a strike, that it should be a strike or it is a strike. And the umpires usually will start giving in a little bit. You must have been a part-time psychologist because I'm sure you had pictures on your staff where they saw who was going to be the home plate ump, and you're like, "This guy hates me. I'm not going to get a single call." And you'd be saying, "Okay, don't let's let's put that out of our minds." Dan, it's amazing that that that's so true, though. I mean, if I have a pitcher that I know can dominate one side of the plate, and I have an umpire working behind me that doesn't like calling strikes on that side of the plate, it's a real it's a challenge for you that day. I mean, you you have to continue to make a conversation with the umpire and saying, look, we're going to try to work this outside part of the plate. He's the, my, this pitcher here is pretty good at it. Just give it a little extra look if you would. I mean, you start that conversation like that just to give him a heads up and, you know, almost like, hey, we're, we're going to go at this, this spot. Just give us a little extra look if you would. Can you name one single player that you played against on an opposing team where you're like, this is the greatest athlete I've ever seen in my life? And where you were in awe of them. You, a fellow pro. I would, one of them would be George Brett. You know, I, I thought that he was, uh, especially the one, I'm trying to think what year it was, maybe 86 or maybe it was 87. Uh, we, we just couldn't get him out. And he was... Uh, he he was really really locked in that year, uh, but he 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 was good. Kirby Puckett was was outstanding. I grew up as an Al Kaline fan, um, who I, I thought was tremendous. Um, so I mean, there, there, there's I played against a lot. I mean, you look at all the Yankee games that we played and the players that we played against that played for the Yankees. You know, there, there's an awful lot of them. The same with Baltimore, Cal Ripken Jr. Eddie Murray. Um, you know, Eddie Murray. He looked like the grumpiest human on earth, was he? Oh, Mr. Happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't want to carry on a conversation very often, but uh, as a ball player, he, he was pretty damn good. Wait, that was his actual nickname, Mr. Happy? Yeah, that's what I called him. Oh, I love it. Uh, whenever You mentioned uh, George Brett, and I, I, whenever I 
hear the name George Brett, I think of the pine tar and the pine tar incident. Pine tar. You lived in the pine tar era. As a kid, I went from store to store trying to find pine tar, but you couldn't find it if if you're a part of the general public. Yeah, that's it's it's true. Now they have the spray cans and they've got the stick, I guess, that relates to pine tar. But I know game used bats aren't the same anymore. I've got some game used bats up there. I've got a, a Garth Orge game used, and it's the pine tar is just everywhere on her. I'm like, yeah. this, this is what baseball's all about. Yeah, there's a few guys out there that still use it. You, you can always tell if you look at their shoulder, you'll see the pine tar mark on their shoulder. That that's where they rest their bat. Of course, it gets sticky, and the clubhouse guys love that. Um, I'm just going to move this picture here because in behind this picture is that I don't know if you can see that. That's Garth Orge of Giant Garth Orge card. Can I get some love for Garth Orge, who? I always look to him as my go-to favorite player because in my mind, I'm like, this guy doesn't have the most talent, but he, he works his tail off and he carved out a pretty good career. And he also had the, the weirdest stance I've ever batting stance I've ever seen in my life. Dan, it's amazing. We're talking about Garth. He was my roommate in the minor leagues. Oh. That's when, you know, you have roommates in the minor leagues. Garth was my roommate. So we, we have a pretty good history together and, and you're right. He was he was a blue collar kid that worked hard. Um, wasn't blessed with all the talent in the world, but you know he he worked and made himself into a real good ball player. And the way that uh, Bobby Cox used him with him and Rance Mullinex platooning, it was it was good. And he had he's he's got a few years in the big leagues. But that caused me that caused a problem because then I had a dislike for Rance because I'm like, oh, Rance is playing today. Where's Garth? Well, it, it worked out for the team, and that's that's the way you look at it as as a ball player. You're getting an opportunity to play. You know when you're going to play, and uh, you know, like I said, Garth was he was a, a red ass, and he, he played hard, and all he wanted to do was win, and that's that's what I think those the teams that we had in the early '80s into the mid '80s were teams that were hard nosed players. And we just wanted to win the game. Do do whatever it takes to win a ball game. Ernie, I've got to thank you for the the time you spent with us here. Uh, like I said, I huge fan. Eighty five Jays are why I love baseball, and you are a huge part of that. So thanks for coming on with us today. Thank you, Dan. All the best to you. So if you went to a Jays game this weekend. You don't order. I hope you didn't order a hot dog. So give me a protein bar. They're like, what? Yeah, the protein stick. What? Hot dog. Also, I want updates. I know the Boomsies fans are big Jays fans. Give me an update on the food. Are the hot dogs being cooked? Or are they still being served after being cooked for half a second? Are the bonds still hard as how are the sight lines in the new stadium? The new reconfigured Rogers Center. Let me know. I wanted in there for a tour. They said, not happening. But I want to peek. Nope. Ye done. Quick email before I leave you here. Didn't get to a bunch of them on Boomsies. This one from Craig. Hey, Dan, enjoyed your interview with Dan Schulman. That was last week. We talked to Dan Schulman. Oh, yeah, last week last Friday. 
Couldn't help but uh, think of the kids of the hall when you started talking about Dan's. These are the Dan's I know, I know. These are the Dan's I know. These are the Dan's I know, I know. These are the Dan's I know. Dan Aykroyd, he's a really funny guy. He busts ghosts and plays a mean blues harmonica. Dan O'Toole is the king of Orno. He used to be on TV. Now he's got a podcast, Boomsies. Some of them are Denny's. Most of us are Dan's. They have their own hands, but they come from different moms. Dan Schulman's the voice of the Jays. Dan and Buck call the games, and those guys have the best pipes. These are the Dan's I know, I know. These are the Dan's I know. These are the Dan's I know, I know. These are the Dan's I know. Some of them are Daniels, but most of us are Dan's. They all have their own hands, but they come from different moms. Hope you enjoy, Craig. Now, I don't know what my powers are on this show, but if we can get Craig, just an add-on CHL prize pack, because I know it's sung to the tune these are the Daves I know, but he wrote his own lyrics here. Spent some time crafting this. He put he put some effort into this. Can, if we can get him a CHL hat, a scarf, I think Craigers deserves it. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you enjoyed Ernie. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Welcome to Boomsies with Daniel Toosie. Fly from Orno in the heart of Ontario. Oh, baby, Boomsies. Thanks for listening to Boomsies.